Their relationship began during those walks, long lingering walks down the winding pathways of the beautiful garden he had planted just for them. Their love blossomed just like the trees and flowers that surrounded them on every side. They pointed out cloud formations and played with the animals. They wandered through meadows and forests. They splashed in rivers and streams. Just a father and his children becoming familiar friends, close confidants, and lifelong companions. Evening time in the cool of the day, well, that was their favorite time to get together and simply walk. No agenda, no schedule, just taking time to talk about life, sharing dreams, and getting to know each other better. Just leisurely walking, putting one foot in front of the other, just being together, enjoying each other's company. Mile after mile, day after day, week after week, over and over and over. Gradually weaving that tapestry of true intimacy that only comes with consistent conversation. Word upon word, question after question, sincere expressions of love, building on what was said yesterday and anticipating what would be said tomorrow. They walked and walked and walked and walked, and they delighted in their discovery of each other. It was a wonderful, growing, loving relationship. And that's why it hurt him so much when they didn't show up on that first fateful evening after the fall. Because they were his children, they had the potential of love. And with that love came a depth of worship that even the angels could never know. Because they were his children, they were made in his image. And with that image came a capacity to make choices, either good or bad, helpful or harmful. Because they were his children, they were a source of endless delight but they also had the potential to wound him deeply. Their rejection of the relationship broke his heart. And it broke his creation too. Forever fracturing the world he had made just for them. And now their own children would be born with a fatal flaw. A deadly defect a tragic terminal condition called sin. It would scar and stain them, mar and maim them, hurt and harm them, bruise and break them. It would damage their bodies and distort their minds and destroy their soul. It would scrawl the hateful graffiti of iniquity over every corner of their lives defacing the image he had so lovingly imparted to them, obliterating every trace of the relationship they had once enjoyed. Every one of their children for countless generations 
would now be born empty shells and live in dark shadows, just twisted caricatures of what could have been. I'm sure they thought about it over and over. I'm sure it haunted their dreams and their waking moments. If only they hadn't listened to the lies of the serpent. If only they had showed up for their walk that evening. Creation groaned and Satan laughed and God wept. And his children, well, they hid. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Can you imagine hiding yourself from the presence of such a good God? Can you imagine trying to ignore the voice of your Lord or running from a relationship with your creator? And yet that's exactly what they did. And it's exactly what we do sometimes, isn't it? We choose a life that does not include our heavenly father. We refuse his will and we reject his love. We become so busy, so distracted, so preoccupied with the priorities of the life he gave us that we forget to take time to honor the giver of that life. Sometimes we become so busy, so distracted, so preoccupied with working for him that we neglect simply walking with him. And it is those daily walks that God misses the most. After Eden, God had to hide too. He had to sequester his spirit behind a heavy veil in a holy temple. He had to watch his children falter and fail from a distance. Because if he came close, his perfection would kill them and all their imperfections. The entire human race was now infected and inflicted with the genetic disease of sin. And because a holy God cannot fellowship with sin, the father couldn't walk with his children anymore. He could only watch them from behind that heavy veil in that holy temple. His heart longed to be with them. His hands ached to hold them, but he couldn't. Their decision had destroyed the relationship he had so lovingly created. Yes, the law, it helped. Hundreds of rules and rituals, dozens of feasts and festivals, generations of priests and Levites, thousands of slaughtered sacrifices, all to atone for their sin. Pushing it ahead, staving off the inevitable, sidestepping the guilt, avoiding the penalty. One offering at a time, one day at a time, one year at a time, endless. Only the high priest ever got to go behind that heavy veil in that holy temple. And then only one day a year on the great day of atonement. Yes, the law helped, but it was a sad, sorry substitute for those long, lingering walks with their father.
in the Garden of Eden. Along the way, there were some bright spots, a few joyous moments, and some extraordinary individuals who pushed past the protocol and broke through the boundaries to just reach for him. But they were the rare exception. And even then, it was just a dim shadow of what had once been in the beautiful Garden of Eden. There were a few, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He got so close to God and so far from this world that God said, you're closer to my house than your house. Come up here. There was Moses, or Noah. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man. He was perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. No wonder when God wanted to preserve a righteous family, a righteous remnant out of a sinful planet. It was Noah and his family because Noah walked with God. While the law could limit the consequences of sin in their nation, it couldn't fix the cause of sin in their hearts. And so those long, lingering walks with their father in that beautiful garden became just a distant, dusty memory. And you feel it as you read the first two-thirds of your Bible. We call it the Old Covenant or the Old Testament. And you feel it. It's on every page. It bleeds through every verse. Job identified the feeling of the Old Testament. He cried, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I just wish I could find this God that I try to honor and serve. I just wish I could find him, but I feel like I can't. Job, he had a quandary, a dilemma. It bothered him greatly. He said, if I wash myself with snow water and I scrub so I make my hands never so clean, you're holy, I'm unholy. You'll still plunge me in the ditch. I'll get covered with the mud of my sin and failure and mine own clothes will abhor me. Because here's my problem, Job said. This God that I try to honor and serve, he's not a man as I am that I should answer him. I can't really talk to him and that we would come together in judgment and sort this out. Neither is there any daysman, any mediator between us that could lay his hand on God and on me. There's nobody. God's way up there. And I'm way down here. God is holy. And I am a wretch. Job identified the feeling of the Old Testament. It bleeds through every verse. You see it on every page. And then the prophet Micah, he identified what I would call the flaw of the Old Testament. Here's, here's the prophet Micah. And, and chapter 6 and verse 8, we always quote that. It's a beautiful verse. And you may be able to quote it from memory. We never quote verse 7, which gives us the context for verse 8. Here's what Micah said. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or ten thousands of rivers of oil? 
Is the Lord really going to be pleased with just a bunch of animals sacrificed? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, my children for the sin of my soul? What could I ever give to please God? He's righteous. I'm unrighteous. He's way up there. And I'm way down here. This is the flaw of the Old Testament for everybody that wanted to serve God. There's such a distance. And then Micah says, and we know this verse, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. That's the flaw of the Old Testament because God wants to walk with his people, but... His people walked out on God and the long, loving, lingering walks of the Garden of Eden seem like just a figment of their imagination now. They're distant, they're dusty, they're gone. That's the flaw of the Old Testament. Even if you want to walk with God, how do you do it? And then Amos, he identifies the failure of the Old Testament. He's another minor prophet. and He just says this. Can two walk together? Except they be agreed? You can't walk with God. How do you walk with God? He's God. And you're not. He's spirit. And you're flesh. He's perfect. And you're a wreck. How do you walk with God? The feeling... The flaw and the failure of the Old Testament. You see, the problem is that the human family is no longer walking together with God. That's what Amos said. How can two walk together except they be agreed? And they're no longer walking together with God. Because we simply don't agree with God anymore. Our decision to run our own lives, that expresses our blatant disagreement with God. And we're all born with this tragic terminal condition called sin. We come into this world already walking on a different path than God, already moving in a different direction from God, already estranged from God. And the longer we live and the longer time goes on, the longer we survive on our own, the further apart we get. Our independent streak becomes our fatal flaw and our ultimate failure. You were created for a relationship with God. But because we're stubborn and independent and willful, we end up with empty hearts and broken lives and shattered dreams. And you hear this preacher well. There is nothing we can do to fix it. That's right. There's nothing we can do. (laughs) For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man would somebody die. Peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But our God, he commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet bound, while we were yet perverted and addicted and filthy and dirty, Christ died for us. There's nothing we can do to fix it, but there was something he could do to fix it. Even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. Why? to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And now, because, see, this is New Testament. This has left the Old Testament behind. This has moved beyond, further, higher than the Old Testament. We can receive the adoption of sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I love that word, Abba. We were in Israel. We were walking through a park just across from the old wall of the city. And there was a beautiful little Jewish family there, Orthodox family, very godly and modest in their appearance. And they were playing, kicking a ball with their little tiny children. And both of their children, a little boy and a little girl, they were playing with their daddy and you'd hear them even as we walked off into the distance. Abba, Abba. It's beautiful. That's who he wants to be to you. Abba isn't a term of formality. It's a term of endearment. Father, daddy, papa. Hmm. There was nothing we could do to fix it. But there was something he could do to fix it. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now, if that doesn't fix it, nothing could fix it. We were estranged from God. We were away from God. We'd walk beyond and far from God. We'd turned our back on God, but he just couldn't take it. So he did something so he could come to us. He could live among us. He could hold us and touch us and talk to us. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That is the Bible. That is redemption. That is the gospel. That is salvation. That is why we are here in this room tonight, taking time in the middle of a week to honor the Lord Jesus because when nothing else could help, his love reached down and lifted us back to our standing with God. When we couldn't get to him, God came to us. Jesus was God in a body. Why God in a body? 
because he wanted to walk with us once again. God restoring the relationship, paying sin's penalty, fulfilling all those laws. And yes, God ripping apart that heavy veil in that holy temple. God coming close because he just couldn't take the distance anymore. The incarnation is complicated theology, but it's a pretty simple reality. It was God showing us how much he loved us, how much he still wanted to walk with us. The incarnation was God being a friend and a father, God becoming a redeemer and a restorer, God taking on the form of a servant and the role of a savior. And so, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, one more time, just like the Garden of Eden, we get a choice to walk with him or not. Will you walk with him or will you walk away from him? Can I tell you that we've already seen that second option play out and it's not pretty. It's not pretty in creation. It's not pretty in the history of humanity. And it's not pretty in any individual life you've ever met or any set of eyes you've ever locked your eyes with. It's not pretty to walk away from God and walk face first into sin. But people do it all the time. To walk with God. It's pretty simple really. It's to stay in close proximity to him. To walk with God is to share your heart and your life with him. Whew, my goodness, I feel the presence of Jesus in this room. To walk with God is to talk to him and to listen for him to talk to you as well. To walk with him is to focus your attention on him to the exclusion of almost everything else. Now, nobody in this room has ever done this to anybody, so I'm not talking about you, so you can breathe easy. But have you ever been with anybody that had one of these? And you were there, flesh and blood, right in front of them, having a conversation, pouring out your heart, your plans, your dreams, your thoughts, and all of a sudden, they're gone. Because some random person from somewhere on the planet they don't even know who it is yet, suddenly became eminently, exponentially more important than you talking to them right there in front of them. Sometimes they sneak. They pretend they're still listening. But when you get three sentences into the story or the question and they don't have a clue what you just said, you know something's going on. Sometimes they're just blatant. Can you imagine how God feels when we let every little thing in life distract us from walking and talking with him? To walk with God is to purposely please him and to cheerfully obey him and to joyfully worship him. To walk with God closely, please hear me, it requires saying yes to him and no to many other things. 
And that's why the New Testament normally speaks of walking with God in terms of your daily lifestyle. Just like it was back in the Garden of Eden. Your thoughts and your motives, your actions and your reactions, your choices and your decisions, all of those things are affected by your daily relationship with God. When you walk with him, Jesus becomes everything and you live only for his glory. Hmm. I'm going to swing this and talk to you a little practically for a moment. But before we do, I, I trust you're feeling what I feel in this room. It's that lingering, longing presence of God that would like to walk with somebody the rest of this week. Maybe you've been a little distracted or a little distant, a little preoccupied. But God's in this room and he's just saying, I'm still waiting. I'm still here. I'm ready. Would you lift up your hands and lift up your voice and just pray that through for a moment? Let what is in your spirit and your heart come out through your voice and your words. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I thank you, Savior. I praise you, Master. You are everything to me. Your presence is life. Your presence is like pure, clear, cool water. Your presence. There's nothing like it. There's no one like you. And your presence is healing. And your presence is blessing. Oh, church, just like a concert lifting up the volume of instruments, would you just lift up your praise to him? I got a news flash for you. He's walking these aisles right now. He's just ready to lay his hand on some broken heart, some troubled mind, some fractured family. He's, he's just there. He loves to walk with us. He's there for the lonely. He's there for the discouraged. He's there. Oh my. Edero shema telakera hatoshabaha. Edrebobolo dorebaboshabaha. I'm not in a rush. He's not in a rush. I hope you're not in a rush. There's something about lingering in his presence. Oh, 
suche shesa mukote hakai ai otelahesa He tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever. I'm sorry, just one more time. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there. None Lift that to the Lord. Are Rukoi Mia Sabavulo Tore Reba. 
Oh, I worship you, God. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Master. Oh, thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God. I won't be much longer tonight, but I do have something I want to share and teach to you. I didn't just come to cry all over you tonight. But you have to understand how desperate life gets if we don't walk with him. Before you understand how important it is to walk with him. You have to understand how broken we are on our own before you understand the necessity of daily talking to him. The choice is yours to make. But if you do decide to walk with Jesus, then the scripture gives us some principles that you will want to pay attention to as you develop your relationship with him every day. Nobody gets a pass on this. You don't get to ease off Get a discount rate after you've served God for a few years. You don't have a corner on the market because you've been in church most of your life. A brand new baby Christian can walk with Jesus and see great miraculous things happen in their life. But you've got to develop that relationship with him. You've got to spend time with him. You've got to walk with him. And here's how you walk with God. First of all, you walk by faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So if you really want to walk with God, you don't live by what you see. You don't live by what you feel. You live by what the Word of God says. Every single day of your life. That (laughs) means when you get terrible news, you go to the word of God and you find a scripture that says something like, what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. You get one of those scriptures that says something like the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runneth into it and is safe. And right now, God, I'm not running from my problem, but I am running to you. Walk by faith. That's how you walk with God. And then the Bible tells us you need to walk in the spirit. You got to walk in the spirit. Paul said, this I say then, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's many people's problem right there. They're trying to get by with just an occasional touch base with Jesus. Send him a text once in a while. Check in a couple times a week. But see, you got to walk with him or your flesh will spiral out of control and you will be back to where you were before. But if you walk in the spirit, it puts defenses around you. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because you're somewhere in a corner saying, I thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. You're somewhere in a corner praying in the Holy Ghost you're walking in the spirit 
That does not mean that you have a 24-7 prayer meeting in your life. You got to go to work and you got to support your family and do your chores and whatever it else it is that you do. When Paul says pray without ceasing, he doesn't mean always say prayers. He means keep that phone off the hook. Keep that conversation going 24-7. So whenever you need him, you can just call on him. He's not a stranger. You don't need to get reacquainted. And you don't have a list of 15 things you got to say. Now, sorry for this. Forgive me for that. Put that under your blood. And, And it takes you 25 minutes to even get near the presence of God. Not if you walk in the spirit. If you walk in the spirit, you're a moving, breathing Holy Ghost machine. At any moment you can pray in the spirit. At any moment you can pray with your understanding. At any moment you can worship God. At any moment you can minister to somebody because you're walking in the spirit. Walk by faith. Walk in the spirit. If you want to walk with God, walk in the light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If you want to walk with God, you walk in the light. You don't try to hide your sins. You don't try to cover them up. You confess your sins. You keep your list short with God. Every day before you pillow your head, you make sure that this is clear between you and Jesus. As you walk through the day, I was reading today about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. What an act of uh, humility and almost humiliation that was. Nobody, the lowest servants didn't want to wash people's feet in Bible times. You know why? Because they're just going to go out on the dirt road in a pair of sandals and their feet will be dirty as soon as they leave the house. Because the floors were dirt in most people's houses, many times their feet were dirty again as they moved around in the room. It seemed like a wasted effort. But it was an act of humility and hospitality and love and honor. And when Jesus hit the floor on his knees and washed the dirty feet of his disciples, knowing that their feet would just get dirty again, he was teaching them something. You see, your feet are going to get dirty as you walk through life. Your spirit is going to get tainted by things that you hear and see and interact with. So you've got to keep that sin list short. You've got to keep the washing of the word active in your life. You've got to keep the blood active in your life. And the only way to do that is to walk in the light. If you mess up, fess up. If you make a terrible mistake, get on your knees, talk to Jesus, then stand back up and keep walking in the same direction. Stop letting the devil tell you you need to leave church and give up on God every time you make a mistake or commit a sin. Get yourself back up. Get your face and your mind and your heart on Jesus and keep walking. Defy hell, confuse the devil, and bless your life. Walk in the light. But just in case you think, well, that just gives me a pass to just kind of do it half-hearted and half-baked and casual. No, Paul said, walk worthy. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Walk worthy of your calling. I understand that we all make mistakes 
I understand that every once in a while the devil deceives or sin catches up, trips somebody up. But that's not every hour of every day. Don't give yourself an excuse to live on the fringes and live on the edges and live that casual, sloppy, greasy grace that so many people preach about today. Walk worthy of your calling. You're a child of God. You're better than that sin. You're better than your past. You're better than that addiction. You're better than that perversion. You're better than that. Walk worthy. And then Paul said you need to walk in love if you want to walk with God. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. If you're going to walk in love, that means you're going to give yourself to God. Can I just make an observation? We're really good at giving ourselves to God, but that's not all he said. Give yourselves to others like Jesus did. Give yourself as a sacrifice, as an offering like Jesus did. Jesus is our pattern and he's the one who told us, how can you love God whom you haven't seen if you can't even love your brother whom you have seen? So if you want to walk with God, you've got to walk in love. And Paul said, if you want to walk with God, you've got to walk honestly. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. What's he talking about? He's talking about that life out there. The party life. He said, that's not us. Walk honestly. Be a person of integrity. So, don't you be coming to church and hiding all of your other activities. Don't you be coming and trying to impress God. He knows where you've been. But if you walk honestly, you'll build that everyday relationship with Him. And I know, when you're new, when you first get back to God, whatever your situation may be, it's a little trepidatious. It's a little fearful. What if I fail? What if I fall? What if I can't? What if? What, what if? You got to make up your mind. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be honest with God. And I'm going to be honest with myself. And if I'm not doing it right or well today, I'm going to get myself to church. I'm going to get myself in an altar. I'm going to pray through. I'm going to get tanked up on the Holy Ghost. And I might not have done well yesterday, but bless God, I'm doing good today. And I'm going to do better tomorrow. And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be a person of integrity. Paul said, if you want to walk with God, you need to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Without what, Paul? Oh, outside the church. The people that aren't believers yet. The people in your culture that don't like what you believe or what you stand for. The people in your culture that you vote different than they do. You live different than they do. You have different priorities than they do. And if you're not careful, you'll start to get an edge on for them. And you won't like them very much. But the Bible instructs us to pray for them and to love them and to reach for them and to do everything we can to get them connected with God. So walk in wisdom, saints of God. Remember that your life impacts those who are lost. When you're having a bad day, for God's sake and for heaven's sake and for your sake and for their sake, hide it. We don't want to see it. And they don't need to see it. I am so sick and tired of Christians bellyaching on every kind of social media. 
my coffee wasn't hot. It's like, give it up. What in the world do we think we're doing when we're trying to reach a world that is lost and they already have a problem with church and Christians and now you're going to be God's favorite grouch and just let everybody have it because you are having a bad day and the world should kowtow before you. Would you stop and walk in wisdom? And remember that if you need to have a bad day, go crawl in a prayer room somewhere. Pour it out to God, bellyache to God, and he'll show you a little bit about Calvary, and then you'll remember, oh yeah, I don't have much to complain about. Sorry, that's pastor's job. Just a little bit of overflow of past pastoring there. I'm sorry. If you want to walk with God, brothers and sisters, walk in good works. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. Before you ever became a Christian, before you ever showed up at this church, God before ordained that there would be some good works that you would walk in them. So don't be one of those modern Christians that just checks out of all the requirements of Scripture and just says, well, that doesn't apply to me and I don't think that's for today and uh, that, that was done away with somehow, somewhere. Don't be one of those. Be looking for something to do that would please God. Be a little detective looking in the Word and if the Word even gives it a thumbs up, I'm all in. If God says I love it, I love it too. If God says I hate it, it's an abomination, I'm over here. I'm not going near that. If you want to walk with God, you need to walk in good works. You say, I'm not saved by works. No, you're not. But you are saved unto good works. And God ordained that you'd walk in them. If you want to walk with God, walk circumspectly. There's a word you didn't use at the supper table tonight. Circumspectly, carefully, cautiously. One of my pastors when I was just a kid growing up, he always talked, he always explained that word the same way. He'd seen a wall somewhere that was covered with like, you know, coils of barbed wire and shards of glass permanently stuck in the cement and it was rough and it was awful. And he, he talked about seeing a cat just picking its way through the barbed wire and through the shards of glass and the sharp rocks. And he said, now that's walking circumspectly. I don't know. Cats aren't really in the Bible for those of you that love them. But that's okay. Walk carefully. Walk circumspectly. Walk cautiously. Why? See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Why should I be careful, Paul? Why should I be cautious? Because the days are evil. The devil's out there as a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. So just be careful where you walk, who you walk with, how you walk. Just walk circumspectly if you want to walk with God because we're living in a dangerous day. If you want to walk with God, walk in truth. <laughs> truth gets a bad rap today. 
People mock it and malign it. And when we say we love the truth, people actually make fun of that. I care not. I love the truth of the word of God. John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. You could say that about your natural children. John said it about spiritual children in the church. Do you know that God certainly says that about all of his children? I have no greater joy than to know, than to see, than to hear that my children walk in truth. You know what it means to walk in truth? It means to cherish the doctrine that you have been taught. It means to cherish God's commandments that you've received. It means to love the great truths of the word of God. There aren't many churches that will lose their mind when you start preaching about the mighty God in Christ. But this church will lose their mind over that revelation because it's truth, it's doctrine. There aren't many places anymore when you can go quote Acts 2.38 and people get excited. But here, that's a button we can push because we know what repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost does in a life. It blows up sin and it puts in God and it makes everything new and all things are passed away. That's walking in truth. That's walking in truth. Loving the truth. And finally, if you want to walk with Jesus, <laughs> have you ever tried to walk with somebody that just didn't walk at your pace or your gait? I won't name my wife. Because <laughs> I wouldn't want to call attention to my wife. But it just seems to me like we never walk at the same pace. Usually she's out in front of me, either looking over her shoulder smugly or dragging on one of my arms, trying to get me to keep up. And I'm just trying to enjoy the day. Or the only time that really changes is if we go into a mall. And all of a sudden, I'm out in front. If you want to walk with Jesus, you can't be running on ahead of him. You can't be lagging behind him. If you want to walk with Jesus, you've got to walk like Jesus. He that says he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as Jesus walked. If you want to walk with Jesus, you need to walk like Jesus. Walk at his speed. Walk at his pace. Let him guide you. Let him say, stop, slow, turn, be careful. Or just let him say, look at that. That's what they did in the Garden of Eden that was so beautiful. A brand new creation and God's children walking with their father. Look at that. Look at that sunset. Look at those clouds. Look at those funny animals. Look at those majestic mountains. Look at that bubbling brook. It was beautiful. It still is if you'll walk with him.
I love this building. This is our home, isn't it? We come here a lot. You don't have to be sitting in those chairs or in between these four walls to walk with them. In fact, if this building is the only time you walk with him, you're not walking with him. You're just visiting him once in a while. But every day that you live, he wants to walk with you. He wants to share your life and your conversation. He wants to know your dreams and your heart and your fears and your failures. He just wants to be your father. There is nothing like walking with the Lord. And I just came here to Bible study tonight to remind you to walk with Him. Would you lift up your hands? I'm all finished. Make sure you lift your voice with your hands. Make sure you lift up your heart in those words that you're speaking right now. So let me walk with you, Jesus. Why don't we stand? Don't ever leave me alone. For without you I could never No, never make heaven my Sing that like a big choir, everybody. So let me walk with you, Jesus. Don't ever leave me alone. For with